like jack in the boxes today, up and down. Our reading today is from uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through to the end of the chapter. Sorry, if you'll just bear with me one second, things are being a bit silly here. Lovely. Okay. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. In fact, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of... Oh, sorry, before I carry on, if you're a child, there's an activity table at the back. Uh, where the beautiful lady is sitting, you can go and, and do all sorts of activities. Uh, Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, who was the, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin and his brothers born at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eliezer. Eliezer was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Wow. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Uh, generations there, quite often what happens when they speak of the father of, uh, it can also mean the grandfather of or great-grandfather of. And in Luke chapter 3, it's quite possible that that, that is what happens there. Uh, Luke, if for those of you that are keeping count, there are only two books that mention the nativity, uh, as Fran reminded us last week. There's Luke and there's Matthew, and they have different genealogies, and it seems like Matthew's genealogy is focused around um, Joseph. Right at the end there, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, full stop. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So this is the genealogy of Joseph. In Luke, we, we seem to have the genealogy of Mary. Um, uh, third person on the list is Heli, which we think is uh, Mary's dad in the, Luke's genealogy. So we've got two different Gospels, and we've got two different angles on the same story. And we saw already that Luke seems to focus a lot on Mary, 
It's quite probable that Luke chatted with Mary. You'll notice a lot of what he says is, and Mary pondered this, and he's got the story of the angel coming to Mary. Luke is very Mary-focused, whereas Matthew is more Joseph-focused. This is more the legal line of Jesus through Joseph, because legally it goes through men in that culture. Let's read the actual story. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, uh, by the way, the footnote puts it better, he decided to divorce her. It's not just breaking an engagement. It's, it's a legal act of divorce. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. That Jesus was conceived miraculously with no human father is clearly stated in both Matthew and in Luke. Matthew doesn't argue the case. He doesn't explain the case for that. He just states it as a known fact. And he does realize how impossible that is. Luke is the doctor, but Matthew is not, he's not a dunce. He, he knows how the world works. As did Joseph. And yet Matthew also knows that nothing is impossible with God and he looks back on the story of Christmas and he sees how all of this was part of God's plan. He looks at the person of Jesus and realizes that there is something at once very natural about Jesus. He was carried for nine months. He was born. He lived life. He, he died. He, he rose again. Uh, which comes to the other part. There's something supernatural about him. He had no father. And he rose from the dead, never to die again. And the things he did, no one else did. Our story today is supposedly about Joseph. But Joseph is not really the star of today's story. Yes, Matthew tells us the story of Jesus from Joseph's perspective, but, but Joseph is the supporting role. Joseph is the foil for the bigger story. Matthew is not interested in telling us about Joseph. In fact, we hear very, very little about Joseph post the first few chapters of Matthew and Luke, and one or two references maybe somewhere, but, but very, very little about Joseph. Matthew's point is not, what sort of a man was Joseph? And it'd be really easy to do a sermon about what we can learn from Joseph, about responding to God's plans, and, and when God wants us to do something, and, and hearing from God. We could do a sermon about that. But 
that's not the story that Matthew's on about. There's stuff in there that we can learn, but, but Matthew's big question for us, as always throughout his gospel, is this. Who is Jesus? Joseph was engaged to Mary. Uh, legally, as I said, the only way out of this engagement would be either death or divorce. Engagement wasn't like engagement these days where you can throw the ring back in someone's face and go, I've had it! Um, I don't know if anybody actually does that. You see that in the movies all the time. Uh, back in those days, to be betrothed or engaged like this, it, it was a legally binding thing. You'd, you'd uh, basically have this, this commitment to each other. For a year the wife would still be living with her parents. You'd live totally separately. And after a year, the husband would come, would fetch his wife from uh, her parents' house, and there'd be a big party. And then they would, they would live together as husband and wife. Now, true to, to his custom, true to his God, true to his own integrity, Joseph had, had stayed separate from Mary. Mary, on the other hand... Well, it seemed she hadn't. She was, to use the euphemism, with child. It's not really a euphemism, is it? She was just with child. And Joseph knew quite certainly that it was not his child. He found out quite early on, probably uh, in the sort of third or fourth or fifth month, uh, it was early enough that he thought that he could, he could quietly slip out of this relationship without causing too much ruckus. Not everyone in the town knew yet about Mary and what she had done. And surely Mary must have spoken to Joseph and said to him, this is what the angel told me. This this is what God has done. This is a child conceived by the Spirit. But Joseph was nobody's fool. And to marry her, to go on with this with this farce of a wedding would be, con- would be condoning her adultery. Or possibly suggesting to everyone in the village that the child was his. Joseph was a good man. He had a reputation. He was a man of God. And everyone would be looking at him going, uh-huh, what a great man of God. He had the option of a public divorce. He had the option of punishing Mary. He had the option of annihilating her character and highlighting his innocence. But he was a godly man, which meant that he wasn't only concerned with rightness and righteousness, but also with love and compassion. And yes, he wanted to maintain his innocence, but he didn't want to destroy Mary. And so he sought to do this quiet divorce, two or three witnesses, so that she could salvage perhaps some of her character. He wanted to maintain his integrity without destroying hers. Now many in this day and age probably think this whole virgin birth stuff is a bit of a a fairy tale. 
you know, a, a step too far in this day and age. Well, I, I can probably guarantee you that, that Joseph probably thought it was a bit of a fairy tale and a step too far in that day and age. But people today think perhaps that it's, it's like a, a Christian version of the modern day Santa Claus. You know, this, this made up story, a nice romantic idea uh, that you believe in until you figure out that actually it's really stupid. And then you, you put it aside. When I was a child, I thought childish things, and now I've put it aside to totally abuse what Paul is saying there. I mean, one can explain away the miracles of Jesus. Psychology, spontaneous healing. One can explain it that way. Uh, the, the people with demons, they just needed a, a strong character to say, snap out of it, and they snapped out of it. Because I'm sure that's how it works. But it, it's more difficult to explain away a, a boy without a dad. I'm not a biologist, but if parthenogenesis, which is what you call that, is possible, it would be a girl and not a boy. This is totally impossible. Is that right, Leonora? Leonora's nodding her head. So Joseph looks at it, and people today look at it and go, well, you, you Christians, you, we've got your, our Santa, uh, modern-day Santa, I like Saint Nick. But you've got your, your strange stories about a virgin birth. Surely Mary must have slept around. And Joseph ended up marrying her, so... Matthew and Luke don't apologize for this. They don't explain it away, as I said. They just present it as a simple fact. But, but what they don't do is present us this idea of a virgin birth in isolation. They, they're telling a story that, that is part of a bigger story. It's a story of, of God's dealing with his people from the very start, from creation, from the fall, from God's going to Adam and Eve and saying, one day one of your children is going to strike the head of the serpent. It's going to destroy it. And this is the same story that goes on from Bethlehem through to the cross and to the tomb. This is the same story that goes to the empty tomb and the resurrection and, and Jesus ascended to heaven. This is the same story where Jesus does incredible things and, and gives sight to the blind and lets the lame walk and the, and, and the deaf speak. Wait, no, the deaf hear. You know, all of those things. He does the impossible. This is the same Jesus who goes to a party and turns water into wine. This is the same Jesus whose friend Lazarus is dead, and he goes and he says, Lazarus, you stink, but come out. And he does. And this is the same Jesus who, as I said, goes to Jerusalem and says, I'm here because I want to show how much God loves you. Come to me, you who are thirsty. And they came and they executed him. And then he rose to life again. And if Jesus did everything that those witnesses say that he did, especially if he rose from the dead, then all of a sudden the talk about virgin birth doesn't sound so ridiculous, does it? Oh, no, it's against nature, Nick. It's, it's impossible. 
As far as I am aware, it is against nature to be utterly dead with a spear through your side, you know. And three days later, coming back to life again. That's impossible. You see, Jesus is more than just another human being. This is what Matthew and Luke and the whole gospel wants to tell us. Jesus is God become man. Totally human. Without a dad. Totally God. I don't know how God did it. Matthew doesn't tell us. They've got no idea either. They just know God did it. As a true human, Jesus knows our, our pains and our joys, our triumphs and our temptations. That's what Hebrews 4 says to us. Great passage. Read it when you get home. But as fully God, He was born without sin. And He never gave in to temptation. And because He was perfect, He could offer His life in place of ours. But for Joseph, at this stage, it was still too much to believe. He was no fool. He didn't have the benefit of our hindsight looking back at the life of Jesus. And eventually, you know that going to sleep when you're just, your, your head's going 100 miles an hour and you just fall into this troubled sleep. And while he's sleeping, he dreams. And in his dream, an angel arrives and speaks to him. Giving him a message about Jesus. And it's interesting because this angel addresses Joseph in uh, chapter 1, verse 20, as this. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Now we've just, we listened to that whole long genealogy where we saw that Joseph is descended from David. But you know the interesting thing about Matthew is that there is no other time in the Gospel of Matthew where someone other than Jesus is called the son of David. And right at the beginning, Matthew comes and says, the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. Joseph, heir of the promise. Now, who cares that you're the son of David? Well, what matters is that long ago God had come to King David and said, David, I'm making a promise. I'm making a covenant with you that one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever and he will rule over all things. And it seemed like that promise hadn't come through. And then we find throughout the ages, here comes, we, we heard there about the exile and the Babylonian going away. And then all of a sudden we find trickling down to this little nobody carpenter, Joseph. And, and we say, Joseph, you are the son of David. That's not Joseph, hey, take up your, your throne. It's Joseph, you're the son of David and I am sending someone into your family. Who is the king? You see, Joseph is to be the legal link from Jesus to David. And Matthew even goes further and says, from David to Abraham. To whom God made promises saying, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. I'm going I'm to make you a blessing. Through your descendant. 
This is all about bringing people back to God. This is God's plan all along. And, and the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, you are going to be the legal link. The angel tells Joseph not to be afraid. Probably not, don't be afraid of getting a divorce. But don't be afraid of the stigma and the consequences of going ahead with the wedding. People would think that Joseph was possibly a man who had given in to temptation. Mark chapter 6 verse 3, we read of the crowd speaking about Jesus going, Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't those his brothers? Now either Joseph is dead by that stage, or else people are having a dig at Joseph. Going, <laughs> Mary's son. In that culture, you didn't speak about the mother as the, the person's son. It was always the son of the father. To go, the son of the mother is an insult. I don't know what Joseph's emotional state must have been like during this encounter with the angel. I'm sure it was all over the place. But coming out of it, he had no doubt that God had spoken to him. He was told to name the son. Verse 21. She will have a son. You are to name him Jesus. You see, by naming Jesus, Joseph was accepting legal authority. In effect, he was adopting him. He was, he was saying, this is my son. Like, he wasn't biologically his son, but he was saying, for all intents and purposes, this is the firstborn in our household. And although he does the choosing, he doesn't get to choose, he, get, he does the naming, he doesn't do the choosing of the name. That's God's choice. But, but we can see something of, I, I think, perhaps Joseph's trust in God in what he named his own biological children. Uh, there in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, we see again that, that the crowd goes, isn't that Jesus, isn't his mother Mary, aren't his brothers uh, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And we go, oh, yeah, oh, cool, we know his brother's names. Oh, we know James, he wrote a book. What you might not realize is that these are Greek versions of Israel's great patriarchs. Jacob for James, Joseph for Joseph, Judah for Judas. Simeon for Simon. These are the names of the great patriarchs of Israel. I, it's a surmise, but, but I wonder if Mary and Joseph didn't name their own children this because they thought that God was renewing his people. God had come to rescue his people and they, when they had other kids, they just said, right, God's starting again. Let's name our kids symbolically. But Jesus' is name. Yahweh saves. God saves. It was a popular name back in the first century Palestine. Parents would give it to their children in, in, in sort of hope that one day God would send salvation. Mostly that God would send someone to rescue them from the horrible, horrid Romans. But the angel says to Joseph in verse 21... Jesus comes to bring salvation, but not from the Romans, but, but salvation from sins. Which Jesus did by dying for us and rising from the dead for us. 
with us. And Matthew, as he's writing down the story, he comes to the end of what the angel says and, and he looks back and he goes, wow. God's been planning this all along, hasn't he? You know that, that light bulb moment that you sometimes get? I wonder if Matthew had that. Because he realizes that, that there is something written in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now in context, that was the time of King Ahaz. He was being threatened by the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Israel was a split kingdom, so this is the king of Judah where Jerusalem is. So the northern part of the country uh, uh, was allied with Syria and they were threatening to attack him and he was very, very worried. And Isaiah came and said, uh, look, there's going to be a, a virgin, a young woman's going to have a child, she's going to call him Emmanuel, and by the time he's eating like stuff, solidish food, um, they're going to be no issue for you. It's a bit sad because it goes on and says, and by the way, then you're going to get wiped out by Assyria. But anyway, the fact is, this was a sign to him. This was a sign to King Ahaz that, that he had nothing to fear. It seems quite possible, and, and we won't go into this. If you read the commentaries, they go for pages and pages and pages and pages about the word used for virgin and what it meant and how it ties in and all of that. But it seems quite possible that that back in King Ahaz's day, during the time of Isaiah, uh, this was a young, unmarried woman who later, uh, during this, this troubled time when everyone was attacking the kingdom of Judah, fell pregnant in the normal way and in an act of trust and hope, named her child, God is with us. God with us. So, uh, as an act of hope. As an act of, surely God is with us. And, and this child grew up, and, and sure enough, by the time he was eating there was no more fear from those two kingdoms to the north. Now Matthew looks back and says, you know what? That was true for King Ahaz. But there's such more truth to that story. Jesus fulfills that prophecy in a way that, that the Old Testament couldn't even dream of fulfilling it. There, there is no way at all that Jesus was conceived the normal way. And I won't bore you, there's all sorts of grammar why you can argue King Ahaz was, but the fact is that Matthew quotes from the Greek version, which is a translation from the Hebrew version, and the Greek version there is no doubt this is a virgin who gives birth. And Matthew looks back and goes, wow, wow. Jesus doesn't come as some mother going, surely God will be with us. Jesus comes as God with us. You know, sin results in us being separated from God. Salvation from sin, rescue from sin, results in Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God come to rescue us. This is, this is God with us, making a way for us to be with God. I mean, this passage asks quite simply, 
Who is Jesus? Who is this Emmanuel? Who is this child? And the answer is quite simply, he is no less than God come to rescue. This is what Matthew is all about. God with us. His big issue is saying we cannot be with God because of our sin. There's no way we can reach Him. And then, and then God comes to us and rescues us and sets us free from what sets a barrier between us and God and says now you can be with God if you trust in me. And Jesus says right at the end of Matthew, I will be with you even to the end of the age. The best experiences in life are those that we experience together with someone. Before I got married, I didn't go on holidays very much because it's very boring looking at beautiful scenery and going, oh. oh." I love going on holiday with my wife because you can look at things and go, isn't that amazing? And share the joy of that. God wants us to realize that He wants to be with us. And He wants us to be with Him. Not just to experience life, but to experience Himself. The author of life. The maker of all that is wonderful. He is far more wonderful than anything that He has made. And God wants to spend eternity with me and with you. With us. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. And the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. And when He had cleansed us from our sins... He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Where right now he intercedes for us. And one day soon he will stand up and he will come and fetch us. And he will make all things new and he will say, Don't you get it? I just want you to be with me. That's Christmas. That's Christmas where God says, I want you to be with me. And to make that happen, I'm going to be with you. Thank you so much, Father, that you came to us. Thank you, Lord, that you came. There is no way that we can reach you. We are fallen people who are prone to wonder and yet you came because you want to be with us you want to be with us Father not just now but for all eternity thank you that you have promised Lord Jesus that anyone who trusts you you are with them thank you for the gift of your spirit thank you Father that you loved us so much Lord Jesus, help us to follow after you. 
Lord, as your disciples said to you all those years ago, when you asked them if they were going to leave you, as much of the crowd had left you, they said to you, where else have we to go when you have words of eternal life? Lord, why would we go anywhere else when you are the way to be with the Father? Thank you that you made it possible for us to go and to be with you. I'm with you, said Jesus, even to the very end of this age. And nothing can separate us from his love that is in Christ Jesus. Not the heights, not the depths, not the hardships or the sorrows, not famine, not sword, not angels, not demons. Not the powers above or the powers below. Not the circumstances of life. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He came to be with us that we might be with you. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.